friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. Tonight, we're going to take a look at that text. I asked you to read last week. I said, write this down, and I know many of you did. You went home and you, you read this and thought to yourself, well, that's a bunch of really weird names. Right? <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought the first time I read it. You know, I've read this probably, I don't know, 10 or 20 times or something before I came to seminary. But when I got into seminary and I read this text for the first time in seminary, I don't know why, but I just read on past the fact that this is the first time in the New Testament since the fall, since Adam, where anyone, actually Old Testament rather, where anyone had been filled with the Spirit. There is no other place in the Old Testament previous to this or after this where someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit landing on people, touching people. We see the Holy Spirit uh, being imparted to people. But being filled with the Spirit, this is the first place in the Old Testament past the fall. We know that Adam was filled with the Spirit of God, the Ruah of God. But... This guy that we're going to read about tonight, he was filled for the first time past the fall. And I want to, I want to show how, how when he was filled, what he did with that. How many of you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit for purpose and reason? And it's, it's really not to come hear me. You know, I, I, I know that's just, I know it's just a wonderful part of your lives. <laughs> I, know it, I know it's just fantastic to twice a week hear the same guy, you know, but, but here's the deal. And, and listen to everybody else that's sharing God's word. That's good. That's awesome. But it's not just for that. Listen, you ought to have some creativity in your life. You've been filled with the spirit of God to, to create something. And I'm going to show you tonight how, but that's part of the Imago Dei. The creativity of God is part of the image of God. And it's part of the call of God. Let's read Exodus 31, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? Man, that's so cool. I want you to see the three things that come next. There's three, okay? And you might be able to divide this into three dimensions. So since this guy's filled with the Spirit of God, there's three things that are coming out of his life, okay? Watch this. Number one, in wisdom. Say wisdom. Understanding. And knowledge. Okay, and in all workmanship. In other words, he was given three things to get the job done and to get workmanship done. We'll talk about what that is in just a second. But we see what is said first really takes priority. First thing he gets is wisdom. The next thing that he gets is understanding. Then he gets knowledge. And he gets those three things from being filled with the Spirit of the Lord. In all manner of workmanship. And then that's going to manifest into six different things. To devise, watch this, cunning works, right? To work gold, silver, and brass. The cutting of stones. I want you to see that these are prioritized too. In value. And they're also prioritized the way that Paul, in the New Testament, prioritizes uh, the works that are placed at the Bema seat. You remember the Bema seat is the judgment seat that all Christians appear before. You understand this? 
That's, that's the place where what you've done in Christ will either last or burn up. In other words, if you've done it for Christ and Christ alone, right, it will last. But if it's done for yourself or selfish desires or selfish motives, right, it's going, the flame's going to burn it up. Paul talks about that. And Paul says there's going to be hay, wood, and stubble. And he places those last, right? I want you to see that they're, in, they're ordered by the Holy Spirit here for the reason. But Paul also talks about that there's gold and diamonds, right, or jewels and, and silver. And so these are things that are done for God, but the other things are done for selfish reasons. Notice that they're ordered by the Spirit here. And there's an order of six. It's gold and silver, then brass, cutting of stones, carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. Behold, I've given with him a Huliab, the son of Aashamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I've put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle for the congregation, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture in the tabernacle. I want you to see that the furniture, the ark of the covenant, the menorah, uh, the tabernacle itself, all of the, all of the, uh, all of the robes that, that went all the way around the different colors, all of that was made on Mount Sinai. Now that's not exactly the best place logistically to pull that off. And you might ask yourself, well, where'd they get the gold? They got it from Egypt. Hello? Yeah. The Egyptians actually paid him to leave at one point. <laughs> Right? So the people got all the gold from Egypt, and then Moses came along and said, God wants us to build this Ark of the Covenant. Right? And so then the people all chipped in. And this guy, Bezazel, went and built it. Now, his name is an interesting name. It means to be, it, his name means to be in the shadow of God. El is God, okay? Bezazel is shadow of God, or better, another way to say it is, in the image of God. We're back. We're back to talking about what we were talking about last Wednesday. What is the image of God? Part of the image of God is creativity. You ought to be creative. What, one of the things I love about what I get to do for the kingdom is I get to be creative. I love to be creative. One of the things, and some of you are like, well, you, you just went straight out of high school into ministry. No, I had 18 years in factories. Nothing wrong with that. It just didn't allow me to be creative. I didn't want to make the same part every day. Now, if, you want, if you'll let me design a part, uh, uh, but they, they didn't let me do that. <laughs> that wasn't in my gift set, right? But if I could be on the other end of things, how many of you know, some Christians, some believers, I want to say most, okay? I'm going to go out on a limb and say most. Most believers are living their lives with no imagination whatsoever. They go to work and make someone else's imagination happen, right? They come home, they turn on the TV, and they let someone else's imagination entertain them, Right? And they come to church and they hear a pastor or they go out and they fellowship with friends and they hear about all the things that those friends are dreaming, all the things that the church is dreaming that God can do, but they have no dream for themselves. You're not been, you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit to do nothing. You can 
be in the image of God. You were created. Now, what is the image of God? I'm going to help us with this, okay? Because a lot of people think that God looks like a body. I'm sorry. It's not the image of God. I know I spent about 10 years thinking that too, theologically. Until I read that scripture where Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is a spirit. Huh? And they that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. What was Jesus before he came down as a man? He wasn't a man. Hey, come on, people. He was a spirit. Or another way to say it, he was the word. The divine rhema or logos of the father. So don't go thinking that God is a body. Now, that's not to line ourselves up with the Gnostic heresies that say that human, the human body is sinful. It's not. When God created man and woman in his own image, watch this, he said they were both good. And when he finished the woman, he said, very good. So there's a Gnostic heresy that says everything that's material is evil. That's not right. Okay? And so the 7th and 8th century church did away with that. But that's not to say we can encapsulate the image of God into a body. What I do know is this, that Colossians says that Jesus is the very image of God. So as I look at Jesus and I look at some of his attributes, if I want to walk in the image of God, I want to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to be like, so Colossians 1.15 says, the son is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So, so let me break that down for you here, okay? Here's what we know. We know that Jesus became a man so that we could become spirit. Right? It's the big switcheroo. It's the spiritual switcheroo. So he came down and became what we are so that we might become what he is. He became like us so that we could become like him. He was made in our image so that we might be made in his image. He took on human nature so that we might take on divine nature. Hello? Jesus never stopped, though, being 100% spirit or 100% God. Are you with me? We call this the hypostatic union. That's a big 20, 40, $50 word to say this. He was not 50% spirit and 50% man. He was 100% man and 100% God. Hello. So watch this. He came down and took the curse part of us. Oh, hallelujah. So that we might have the blessed part of him. And he had to be 100%, 100% to pull that off. (laughs) Now see me later if you want that broke down a little bit more. I'll do my very best. But I think some of the things that Jesus did, we need to look at and say that's part of being the image of God. Class. Class. Jesus is a king. You are nobility. In your imagination, do you see that? You should. You should act like it. You should walk like it, talk like it. You should think like it too. It should affect your imagination. You're not the tail, you're the head. Right? Are you not the sons of God? Hello? Right? Okay, creativity is another part. And notice that in the book of Genesis, when God created, we see all these creative verbs being used, showing that God's nature went into what he created. We are the only thing that God has created that attempts to create just like him. The devil does not create, he destroys. 
You understand? All right? And this is something the angels long to look into about us. Because they don't create. They only do what God has told them to do. And they pull off what God, through God's word, has told them to do. They don't have, listen, they don't have the prophetic ability, ability, and I don't even know if I'm going to open this box well enough tonight. See, here's what the devil knows about you. In Christ, if, if you prophesy in accordance to what this word promises, it manifests in this world. Not your word. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Not anything you want. I'm telling you what God has said. When there is a witness and a representative and there's someone that stands in this natural world and says what God's word says is possible, guess what? It's always been possible, but now it's manifest. Now you say, Pastor, it needs to happen right away. There, isn't a, there aren't too many things that God did that was right away. Including sending his son. Right? Come on. But it all was birthed. Didn't Mary hear a word? Didn't hide that word in her heart? I'm talking about opening the eyes of your heart and your imagination tonight. Means you think that he you think she just walked around and just hid it from herself, or did she hide it from everybody else because they weren't ready? But she knew what God had already told her, and did not begin to manifest what God had already promised by the angel Gabriel. Right? Hello. If you can't, if you if you if you can't imagine that God said you're blessed, you won't be. You know, I've met people, they are eternal victims. They are eternal victims. Every time you meet them, it's a new person that's victimized them. The whole world is victimized. And I'm not here to put down anybody that's been in pain. That's not my point. My point is this, everything that's coming out of their mouth, everything that they imagine is a repeat of the cycle of victimization. So when they meet another person, it's almost like they're only attracted to people who are coming. It's pretty silent here. I don't know, Pastor. I don't know about that. <laughs> so here's the, here's the three areas that I think G- class, creativity. How about Jesus' character? How about his character? I want to love like him and be kind like him. I want to bless like him. But I also want to be creative. You don't need to do the thinking for me. I got a God and I got an imagination. That's part of the Imago Dei. It's part of the image. Okay, we can go that far. Now it's going to get heavy. This, that was nothing. That wasn't nothing. Now it gets heavy. All right. First one. I want you to write this down. Our imagination is blessed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that. As soon as this guy, Beazizel, received and was filled with the Holy Spirit, he immediately went out and imagined things and was able to do things that had never been done before. He built, maybe you don't understand this, but I'll elucidate, okay? He fashioned an ark just by instructions from the Lord to Moses to him that is the exact representation and in the exact dimensions of the ark that is in heaven. Did you know there's one in heaven too? Did you know that? And he pulled it off by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, mm, there isn't anything you can't do. God could drop a vision or it, God could drop a dream inside of your heart to help people. And it turned into something to where you're not only helping people, but you're blessing people and employing people. And all God has to do is come and use your imagination. You say, that's impossible. Really? A little girl grew up in this church by the name of Makara Tours. She's all over the country right now. Starts a YouTube channel about building dresses. Come on, church. 
And I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here going, well, I can't do that, or I can't. Nobody would have thought that either when she was little. But God got a hold of her imagination. Come on. And sometimes she puts me on there and the church on there. And it's always when I do something really, really weird, like bring out a chicken. Or something like, you know, that I really don't want the whole world to see. But, you know, <laughs> that's Makira. All right. I want, you, I want you to see that the devil knows that the Holy Spirit is blessing your imagination. And so he's always been out to attack your imagination. We see the first time an attack on imagination is mentioned is in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 4. And the Bible says that the Lord, watch this, the Lord was confounding their languages. Why? Because at the Tower of Babel, right? At the Tower of Babel, they brought their, it says, the Lord said, everything they now imagine to do, they can do. So the Lord came along and by grace slowed the process down because it was going to mess up his plan of redemption in the earth. And so he confounded their languages. It's pretty cool. Another time in the book of Genesis, just before the flood, we see that the devil attacks imagination again. It says every imagination of their heart was wicked. Right? I shared those verses last week. I want to take you back to the tower. Here's what it actually says about the Tower of Babel. It says that they sought to make a name for themselves. We are, that is imagination under the influence. Under the influence of the devil. That's driving under the influence of the devil. When you use your imagination to seek to make a name, ministries of it, pastors, books, things that people have done, good intentions mixed with, I want to make a name for myself. They, they thought to make a name for themselves with their imagination. That's the imagination going the wrong direction. Okay? Our imagination is blessed by seed and spirit together. I want to teach this to you, okay? Because it's not just, it's not just the Holy Spirit. I got, there's whole churches that are charismatiacs. I mean, it's just like spirit, 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 spirit. Great, but no word ever. Even John Kilpatrick during the great revivals that we've seen uh, just a few decades ago said that all revivals need to be in the word and pastored. Okay? Right? Because, I mean, it becomes a farm, it becomes a zoo real quick. And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with life. That's life. You've been on a farm, there's life. And life gets a little stinky. But please, let's, let's keep things kosher and let's keep things orderly right so it's spirit in life watch this first samuel 3 bible tells us now the boy samuel was ministering to the lord in the presence of eli and the word of the lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision and i want to i want to draw out some things here we see a couple things here that was going on with eli's leadership number one the word of the lord was rare that's sad if the word of the lord is rare then that means god's not going to do anything before God does anything, there's the word. Word, then we see. It, it doesn't matter whether it's a miracle, healing, doesn't matter whether it's birthing ministry, doesn't matter if it's always the word first. How did you and I get here? The word. How did this earth get here? The word. How did the whole universe get here? The word. How's anything else going to happen in God's creation? The word. It's the word first, man. Grease ain't the word. Come on, the word is the word. And everybody's heard about the bird. So here's the deal. It says the word of the Lord was rare. So you know nothing's going down, right? 
Now watch this. And there was no frequent vision. I want you to see the, the two together. Seed and spirit. There was no frequent vision. Why was there no frequent vision? I'll give you one guess. No, no word. Why do you think so many believers cannot tell anybody with any confidence in their heart the vision that God has for their life? There's a lack of word. There's a lack of word. So it's so sad, the word was rare, and that was the reason why. Now, the word for vision here is, or frequent vision, is kazon. Kazon, it's the Hebrew word. It doesn't mean you have some pizza, you go to bed, you know, and you see yourself in a yellow submarine or something, and you hear a couple Beatles songs. That's not what it means. Not, Not that kind of vision, okay? This can be... This could be, and Joel talks about this, Peter talks about this. You know, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Dreams, visions, what's the difference? They're basically the same thing. Uh, Listen, a dream is something you get from the Lord when you're sleeping. A vision is something you get from the Lord, and it's an image that you get from the Lord while you're awake. But they're both an image from the Lord. Now, I've I've, I've had a few while while I've been sleeping, but I've had them more often when I've been awake, when I've had the Word in front of me and I've been praying. And God showed me something in a particular scripture. And then the Holy Spirit began to prompt me in my heart and say, you know what? This is what I want done. And, now, and then I'm sitting there, I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, first thing, this is how I know it's from the Lord. My flesh says, no honking way. And I'm like, right away, that's God. That's God right there. I know it's God. I know it's God now. Then, then, then the number two, I mean, it's just some things that go on with me. You got your own litmus test, but here's another one. He says, no honking way. And then past that, it's like, well, that's going to make you look like a fool. Okay, we're up. We're up because that's, that's, I know that's got to be God. I know that's got to be God. And then the next one is you're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need a lot of help. In other words, I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'm going to need a lot of help, right? And it's going to take a lot of faith. So for me, my flesh always fights it if it's, if it's a word from the Lord. But I see a picture of it. I don't know how you see it, but I do. I see a picture of it. I'm not talking about New Age stuff here. I'm not talking about... I'm, listen, I'm not talking about alming yourself in a corner somewhere and pinching your fingers together. I'm saying reading the Word of God, meditating. That word meditate in Hebrew is connected with kazon. Meditating on God's Word and believing it and seeing it for your life. Now you're struggling with that. Why? What do you think meditating in the Word means? David meditated on the Word of God. Jesus meditated on the Word of God. It means seeing a picture of what God says is true. Now come see me later if you've got a problem with that. If you'd rather live the rest of your life picture-free, <laughs> there's a whole lot of people in this world that aren't saved that know how to do this. Okay? I'm not saying they're blessed. They're out making a name for themselves. They're out building a kingdom that is not the Lord's. But how do you think things get done? Let me help you. Let me help you, church. Somebody's seen a picture of how this, how this pew should be designed way before anybody uh, cut the wood and got the fabric together, what color it should be. Somebody had a picture of all that. Believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe, but I had a picture before I preached this message tonight of how this might go and it's eh, but you know i'm hanging on lord but i but i want god to be glorified with my imagination and if you don't use your imagination that way the devil will use it 
God's given it to you for that purpose. So it's seed and it's spirit together, but it's not just spirit, it's seed. Um, let, me, let me explain it to you this way, okay? It's like a little kid. A little kid can imagine things and get themselves in a lot of trouble. Like, I'll show you how it's good. A little kid, like my brother. My brother always seen my dad driving a truck. And so whenever we played together growing up, I was the older brother, my brother Mike, would, he wanted to be the truck driver, right? And he's seen himself, and, and you know what? For a period of time, he drove truck. He's seen himself, he's seen a picture of that, and guess what he became, right? He became a truck driver, okay? I saw myself as selling things. Now, no, don't go there, right? Right? But, but it was later that God used that, and you know, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about Jesus now, right? But there was a time at 17 years old when I seen a picture of not playing music anymore, but a picture of preaching God's word, and nobody could see it but my wife and me. But I held on to that picture. I'm in that picture right now, okay? For the glory of God, not me. What picture do you have of what God wants to do? And make sure that it lines up with this word. Now, here's where a little kid can go wrong. And you've got kids, right? Those of you that have raised kids, they can start to, in their imagination, think they don't have to do what you say. Right? You said go clean their room, and their imagination says you never said that. So guess what happens? You help them with the picture, don't you? Come on. You give them a little... That's all that is. That's painting right there. It's painting the barn red. Joke. But you help them with the picture, don't you? Here's what the word does. It disciplines, it disciplines your life to stay within the frame of what God has said. Because how many people get crazy with an idea and they get out of, out of the boundaries of God's word, right? I want you to see that Eli didn't have a word so he didn't have a picture. And God always sends the word for... Can I tell you this too about spiritual gifts and about that sort of thing? Um, the Holy Spirit will come and give you gifts. The Bible says as the Spirit gives, right? We know there's nine of them, manifestation gifts. Uh, but the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit submit to the offices of Christ. Christ is the word. So when you read in Ephesians 5 about the offices of Christ... They are higher than the gifts that come from the Spirit. Here's why. The Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. So the Spirit isn't ever going to give you a picture or a word or a word of knowledge of wisdom, a prophetic picture, without it lining up with God's Word, His Son, what His Son has said, and what His Son has already ordained in the fivefold ministry. Right? So how many people get a prophetic word from God, but they don't submit to any part of God's word and they don't submit to any part of God's leadership in his fivefold ministry and then see it fail and then watch this watch this watch this I, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear but the church failed me no the church didn't fail you you had a picture that you didn't allow be to be framed that I probably went too far I probably just went too far but I've met a lot of unframed people <laughs> that are coloring outside of the, the lines. You know, I think outside of the box. Well, that's fantastic. But, you know, there is order, right? And there is submission, all of us, myself included. Okay, so Eli didn't have either of those things. And so, so what happened to Eli? He got fat. 
Have you read this story? He got fat and he sat around a lot and he got fatter. He sat around a lot. He got, am I going with this somewhere with this? He was overfed. He wasn't using a thing he had, right? There was no word. There was no revelation, right? No prophetic word. And uh, so that he sat on a chair one day and Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, they were all crazy doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And uh, when they lost this ark we've been talking about tonight, Eli heard that. He said, Ichabod, Ichabod, the glory has departed. What happened? What happened? He fell off. Fell off the chair and his own weight broke his neck. Can you imagine the church being so fat? The church being so filled with information, doing nothing with it, so filled with the word, but doing nothing creatively by the, by the Holy Spirit, direction of the Holy Spirit, that it just sits, and then when the glory finally departs from the church, we fall over and break our own neck by our own weight. Oh, is that a tough sermon? Not one amen. Right? So what does God do? Later in the story, it gets really interesting. It says, later in the story, it says, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. His eyesight began to grow what? He has no vision now at all. He can't imagine a thing good for Israel. That's his job. It's his job to prophetically proclaim. Every dad in this room, that's your job. For your family. Every minister in this room, that's all of you. That's your job for where you minister. When his eyesight began to grow dim so that he could not see, he was laying down in his own place and the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. Imagine this, the menorah, which represented the presence of the Holy Spirit, was still lit. It hadn't gone out yet, right? And here's what happens. God shows up and says, Samuel. And the boy said, hey, I think I heard God. What do we have now? What do we have? A word. We have a word. <laughs> yes. And it comes to a little boy, right? He's probably about seven or eight. Boy, can I tell you why? It's the same reason why they don't train Jedis past eight. And you don't care. Here's the reason why. God is always picking young people and people that we least expect because those are the people that will believe him. Those are the people, it's, those are the people that will believe him. And Samuel says, yeah, here I am. In the Hebrew, it's actually, hen and I, Lord, hen and I, here am I, here am I, right? And then the Lord begins to use Samuel. <laughs> so here's one, for your notes, I want to give it to you here, all right? Before the devil robs you of life and your future, he robs you of the word, then he robs you of the ability to have vision. And what's next is your future in your life. Long before the devil, long before he destroys your life, he steals and kills by taking the word and killing off the vision from your life. Let's look at Abraham. Got a few minutes. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. This is what God said to Abram at the time. Fear not. Comes to, comes to Abraham in a vision. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. 
So God comes to Abraham in a vision and he says, I'm your shield. Do you think it was just words or do you think Abraham probably seen a shield? We don't know for sure, but can I tell you what I think? I think he saw a shield. You want to know why? Because later he says, Abraham, (laughs) and I'm going to go in order here. Abraham, look to the north, look to the east, look to the west, look to the south. Look as far as your eyes can see. As far as your eyes can see, that's the land I'm giving to you. As far as your eyes can see. Then later Abraham goes, well, give me a bunch of land, but I got no son. Right? And then the Lord says, I'm going to make, watch this. The Lord says, I'm going to make your descendants like what? Two things. Come on. That's all you got over there. Stars and sand. (laughs) Hello? Stop. Think about it. All you got is stars and sand. Stars at night, sand during the day. That's all you got. (laughs) But God says, every time you look down, And all you see is sand. I want you to see and remember my promise. You're going to see it first. Then you're going to believe my word. You're going to see it. Then you're going to believe it. I've been teaching this. And then he he says, you know what? At night, you're going to be walking at night. It's going to be really, really dark. All you're going to be able to see is stars. But I want you to remember, every time you see one of those little stars up there, that's another descendant. You see what God's doing? We've got a whole entire church that just... we we show up to lectures this is not the only way to communicate the gospel by the way i'm doing some teaching right now but you you do know there's a whole world out there that's visual and and unfortunately the enemy is in control of most of the visual creativity until recently when we started putting out some pretty great christian movies by the way I mean, really good ones. Ones that like Hollywood's going, oh, no way, you can't do that. You know, I mean, really good ones. Why? Because we're getting on board with the idea that God wants us to be creative. And not do everything with just sitting around like Eli and getting fat. But being creative and designing things. So that's how he showed Abraham the word in his promises. He lined up spirit with seed. Why do I call it seed? <laughs> I call it seed because Abraham was able to see the land and his descendants after Lot left. Lot was a lot of trouble. You know what his name means in Hebrew? Lot? Veil. Are we talking about seeing tonight? Right? Anybody ever get married? Hello. All right. There's this idea that you're not supposed to see the bride before, and you know, you come down the aisle, then you lift the veil, and then there's the kiss, and you're able to see her face, and um, very interesting stuff. Uh, You know, when Jesus, you know, when Jesus died, the temple veil tore. In half, allowing access fully to God. And, and what direction, Miss Brenda, did it tear from? Very important that it tore from the top to bottom. Because God is transcendent. His ways are not our ways. 
And God says, I'm going to do it from here. <laughs> I'm going to do it from where I'm at, not, where from, not from where you're at. My son took care of that. The father's taking care of this. So it tore from top to bottom. And then we have access, right? We're not veiled anymore. We can come in boldly because of Christ. And that's, that's what the book of Hebrews teaches us, that Christ made the way, that his flesh was the veil, right? Do you know the word revelation? You know, we entitle John's letter revelation for your notes. What, what that is in Greek? Apocalypto? Yeah, it's where we get the word apocalypse. It just means unveil. That's what it means. It means to unveil. It's God unveiling how this all ends. It's God pulling back the veil so you can see. God doesn't want to hide things from you. God wants you to see. But if you're not willing to see, just like if you're not willing to hear, right? It'll go right past you. It's all, all the access is there. I want to encourage you that the next time that you read a scripture or a verse in your Bible, look at that scripture. My Bible's upside down, sorry. Okay, look at that scripture. <laughs> It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Not that one. <laughs> Not that one. Scratch. Uh. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Oh, she was in here. I'd be done. Okay. <laughs> Help me, God. But look at a scripture. All right. <laughs> I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the before your throne. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. When I read that, I need to see God loving me. I need to see that God is faithful. That he's not left me. I don't need to see my circumstances, my problem, my issues, everything else. I need to see myself singing praises before God. I need to see myself in God's temple. The holy temple that David is talking about is not just the one that's in Jerusalem, but the one that's in his presence. I need to see myself there because I am. The scripture says that I am. I'm seated with Christ right now. Not just re- Don't just read that verse and just go, well, that's, that's really pleasant. But read it, speak it, see it for your life. Because, because God wants you to be able to see. And when you see and it lines up with his word, then not only do you believe, but life starts lining up with the word too. I just gave you the big old fat secret to how this whole thing works, you know. You know, more than 365 promises in the New Testament alone. Want to see them all? I bet you're not seeing 50% of them. Me neither, because you're not, you're not seeing them for yourself when you read them. Yeah. So, we know that the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But we don't believe that for us, right? We don't think thoughts are things. Even though the whole universe began as a thought and imagination in God's mind, nothing is created without it, even though you and I began as a thought and creation in God's mind. God even said to Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you, right? We don't realize that our minds... Our minds are really just wombs and that our thoughts are really, our imaginations are really just embryos waiting for the seed of God, come on, the seed of God to connect with so that we can begin to see the blessings 
that God has promised us in this life. We don't think that at all. And then we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Gird up the loins of your mind. What is the loins? The reproductive part of your body. Peter is saying your mind has a reproductive part. Gird that up. Don't let that just go willy-nilly. <laughs> right? Gird that up. Gird it up. Any questions tonight? Going once, going twice. Sold. All right. All right. So, let me leave you with an idea. Anybody ever drive a vehicle with a governor on it? You know what I'm talking about. A truck with, like, delivery or a semi or a tractor or something with a governor on it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you got to take them off the golf carts. You really want to go fast. Yeah, yeah. Growing up as a kid, we had a uh, we had a go kart, but um, our parents put a governor on it, so we could only go so fast in that go kart. And it, it took me a solid before I figured out how to get that off of there and tear it up. You know, right? So what's a governor? What's a governor do in a carburetor or an engine? What's it do? It keeps you. You're gonna. Here's the limit, right? Can the capacity of the engine go faster? Yeah. But, but not any faster than the governor lets it, right? So the capacity of what God has for you and what he wants to do in your life is it's hindered by the governor of your imagination and your ability to believe. And that belief don't start just out here. It starts in here. So then... Ephesians says this, Colossians says this, even David sings this song. Open the eyes of my heart. Paul even prays this. He says, I pray that your eyes may be opened to the richness and the hope of your calling. Paul says that in Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart, not these beady little cuties, the eyes of your heart be opened to seeing the hope that God has in your calling and the richness, the richness of his blessings. If you don't want to see that, you're going to go at five miles.